know I've never been afraid of anybody. But that uncle of yours scares me. <laughs> and I like it. Let's be serious. That guy had no chance. But don't you admire his guts, though? His balls? He does have balls, but he was going to get his ass kicked, regardless of whether he gave that girl a grenade or not. Yeah, well, balls or not, I think it's one of the most questionable decisions of the entire movie is to give your captor the grenade. Yeah. You know? Idiotic. Yeah. So he goes down and fights Seagal. He comes back upstairs, meaning he kills Seagal. What's to stop her from just blowing them both up? That's a very good point. Don't don't give your hostage a grenade, people. For all you future terrorists out there, don't do it. <laughs> Welcome back to the last row. My name is Drew, and I'm here with my very good friend, Badway. What up? We want to welcome you all back after we had a one-week hiatus. We apologize, but we were busy. I missed you. But we're here. We're here, and we want to welcome all new listeners. For those that do not know, this is a podcast where we watch movies that might not have been loved by the critics, we find their silver linings, and we fill in the blanks that the movie writers might have left out. So if you're looking to get in touch with us, you can find us at our website at thelastrowpodcast.com. Follow us on Twitter at thelastrowpod. Facebook.com slash The Last Row Pod. We're also on Google+. Plus. Leave us some comments on the SoundCloud player. And lastly, if you haven't done so, we want to thank everyone that has. Head on out to iTunes. Give us a five-star review. Tell your friends. Spread the word. We really appreciate all the listeners so far. Looking forward to doing this again. So the movie we did this week, Under Siege 2, colon, Dark Territory. Colon. IMDB, colon, 5.4, colon. <laughs> Rotten Tomatoes, 34%. So not very well loved. I disagree. 1995, rated R, directed by G. Off Murphy. <laughs> also co-directed by Steven Seagal, unofficially. Yeah, that's, no, that's official. As uh, we'll get into that later as to why that is the case. So, box office superstar Steven Seagal reprises the role of Casey Ryback. Love that name, by the way. The mild-mannered cook and resourceful ex-Navy SEAL. This time, the danger is on the rails instead of the sea, and the stakes are even higher. Rocketing through the Colorado wilderness is a majestic passenger train. Orbiting miles above the Earth is a satellite weapon of mass destruction. A madman connects them, and only a hero can stop them. A hero. A hero. We gotta, we, I wish there was a hero counter on this episode, because the amount of times in this movie really? that the word hero was said... Yeah. While it triumphantly cut to Seagal's face with yeah. some like trumpets in the background, that was definitely his co-directing that did that. I I, I especially like the one scene where uh, one of the main bads was like, "Yeah, we don't want any heroes on this plane," and then it, like cut to Seagal like his face was behind a wall just to show and, him, and it popped out. Yeah, like it popped out like hero, and then his face his face popped out only for that. Yeah, but so anyway, as we open every show, let's start talking about initial thoughts. So you you were telling me before we did this. You've watched this before many times. Yes. So is I, so have I. Yeah. What are your initial thoughts it's on this one of, film? One of my favorite Seagal movies. Yeah. Can I say something controversial right now? Sure. I like it better than the first one. I do too. <gasps> I do too. Not that it's a better movie. It's not. It's more fun though. Yeah. It's more fun. Obviously, the first one has more star power. Has Tommy Lee Jones. Has Gary Busey. Has a couple other big names. This one's more fun. I agree with you. It's. It doesn't get credit. It's one of Seagal's last real quote-unquote real movies before we started going the direct-to-dvd route and and it was one that was still kind of the campiness of the 90 early 90s late 80s you know yeah. i guess i said those in reverse but you know what i mean um the movies where it doesn't take itself seriously it does but it doesn't yeah it's not campy on purpose like expendables uh -huh. it's more ridiculous but like him running through a bunch of trains as they're exploding yeah <laughs> i mean and they do that with a serious face like right, i think yeah. if you were watching this with him and you laughed he would be mad at you. Right, yeah, because it's a serious business. Exactly. It's not It's not like, for example, like we were watching the movie, I was saying True Lies. Yeah. Where they're winking at you the whole time. Oh, definitely. Because of this ridiculousness. This, Seagal is, is dead serious about running all these trains. So do you think, where does this sit in terms of sequels and movie sequels? So uh, we have a bunch of movie sequels that we have on the list here. We've got like Predator 2, Ghostbusters yeah. 2, all the lethal weapons. From that time. Like Speed yeah. 2. I think that yeah. was, I mean, from that might have been later, but. From the mid from the mid to early 90s type things. It doesn't get any credit. Like it's kind of forgotten, but it made a lot of money. Yeah. It was widely popular. See, maybe this is just, Seagal had a huge following. Sure. Good or bad, his movies made bank. Yeah, they did. Especially in that time period. Up till, I think, maybe Exit Wounds is when it started to go downhill. And you can kind of see it in his face. And the fact that he packed his coat pretty tight in this one, 
He was getting a little up there. He was getting a little fat in this one. This is yeah. when it started. Well, he had the double-breasted yeah. jacket, you yeah. know? So, And he wore all black this time, right. which he always does, but it's, it's definitely slimming. slimming. It's slimming. It was slimming. He's getting a little up there. He's getting chubby in this movie. You could tell his hair was starting to go, too, yeah. because he had, like, the... It almost looked like the beginning of the spray-on hair in the yeah. top, you know, like in some of the newer things, like Steven Seagal, Lawman. You yeah. see him on TV. He's definitely got some type of hair piece. Right. And you brought it up earlier in conversation. There's a lot more gunplay in this movie yeah. than, than usual. Usually he's, he's more of a hand-to-hand, yeah. kick-your-ass kind of guy. I mean, he, he still does some great jiu-jitsu stuff. Um, a lot of, I saw a couple of tweaks in the editing, especially in the last fight where they kind of yeah. speed up the camera a little bit. So it's kind of like it shows his age a little bit there. He was there. slowing down. Yeah. But still, this movie drew in over 100 mil at the box office. So I was surprised when you told me the numbers. Yeah. So how much did it cost to make? It was like 60, 60 or million to make, estimated 60 million, 100 mil uh, grossed over worldwide. So he still got it at this point. Barely, yeah. but he still got it. Another thing I wanted to bring up is, is the use of the colon in the sequel movie. I feel like you have to have the colon in your sequel to be taken seriously. I mean, you got your Terminator 2 Judgment Day. Solid movie. Solid movie. You got. You got your Pirates of the Caribbeans. They always have colons. I'm not going to go through them all. all there's, like, there's like tides. 50 of them, right? Yeah. You got your. Um, don't the don't, don't the uh, Lord of the Rings have colons? Uh, I don't know. I feel I mean, like they to, do. They I'm pretty do. sure they do. All right, all right, they do. They definitely go with do. me on this. Yeah. All right, please. I believe you. What's another one? A bad lieutenant colon Port of Call. Port of Call, New yeah, Orleans. Great movie. That's a great title. It's like I don't care that it's extra long. The longer, the better with your colon. All right. <laughs> Gotta have a fresh, clean colon in there. Let's talk about um, Seagal, like, as an ego booster, right? Because we, yes. we talked a little bit about this offline, and... and um, well, you, you touched on it right there in the, in the intro. Yeah, it's it just seems like this movie was was made to pump him up. Yeah, he's the hero, right? I mean, tell me, you had a bunch of observations that, that were really good about it. Yeah, I mean... Like like you said, they they like they were they, they said the word hero like five six times in this movie. Yeah, and at it always least. it always cut to him. Every movie, like Morris Chestnut, who is his buddy sidekick slash busboy from this movie, he's just always talking about, man, you a badass mf'er, man, you kick so much ass, you're crazy, man. Yeah, man, I can't believe you gotta teach me how to do that. He's like, like pumping him up the yeah, whole time. Every like every line from Morris Chestnut is just a just an ego boost to Seagal. and you know Seagal put that stuff. Well, in he there. pumps himself up too. Yeah. He even says stuff about yeah. himself, like I was trained for this. Yeah, like, I was all trained the one-liners. for this. I know how to do this. I'm a, watch me do this. Watch me make this bomb real quick. You don't know what I'm doing. I'm about to do this right now. And when people find out he's yeah. on the train, oh my yeah. God, Casey Effin Ryback is on <laughs> yeah. this train. That, by the way, that's the, that's the extent of my New Orleans accent right yeah. there. So <laughs> I apologize for that. Does Morris Chestnut <laughs> have a New Orleans accent? <laughs> no, 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 no. I'm talking about Miss Seagal New Orleans accent. Oh, oh, yeah, yeah. Watch me make this bomb right quick. Yeah, that's what he does. Like, he really does. And it, it gets even more New Orleans when he's in New Orleans. It's like yeah. it boosts up right. if you've ever seen the show Lawman yeah. with him on it. Oh, he he dials it up to to the nth degree, especially when he's talking to like an older, like nice lady. Yes, like he tries, he puts on yeah. like the the friendly New Orleans accent. Yes, and if the person he's talking to has a thick New Orleans accent, he outdoes it. He tries to outdo he it. He tries yeah. to outdo it he by does. going even more New Orleans. Oh, child! Like he says, <laughs> he says, "Child, please." Like he, he would say, "Child, please," just like yeah. <laughs> just like Andre. Yeah, but no, I like exactly what you brought up. Is was my favorite part of this movie was. The scene where they realize that Casey Ryback was on the was on the train. Yeah, when the bad guys realize Casey Ryback's on the train, he's like a, he's like a celebrity. It's like, oh shit, Casey Ryback's on. Let's let's go home. That's it. Yeah, he's gonna get us. They probably should have just over. stopped the train right yeah. there. Yeah, they needed to do their research, find out who's on that train. They see Casey Ryback's on the train. You know what? Let's uh, let's postpone this until next yeah. week. <laughs> let's, do, let's get him off the train, throw yeah. him off, and then we'll, we'll yeah. just do it later. We'll have, to re- we'll have to reset because we can't have Casey Ryback on this train because shit's going to go down. They probably would have been smarter if they did that. Yeah. All right. Well, look, we all know Seagal is, is an ass kicker. He can bust some heads, throw some people off of a train, you know, shoot some people. <laughs> it's been well documented. Fight sure. people in the kitchen, you know, but let's talk about him as a chef. Yes. Because my favorite and most intriguing part of the the Under Siege films is the fact that he is a chef. Yeah. And they go out of their way to show this and kind of show him in the kitchen, if you will. Nobody beats them. (laughs) But I want to ask you some questions, okay? So what would his restaurant be called? We saw that he had a restaurant that he's apparently never at. Right. What is this place called? So, well, first of all, you have to establish what kind of restaurant it is. That's a great so point. The first obvious restaurant name would be just flat out Ryback's because it's a great name. That it, sounds like a bar. By itself, yeah. Ryback's Bar and Grill. 
you know. <laughs> Casey's Dockside Bistro. Casey's Dockside Bistro Since, you know, is a great name. Do they do they have crab cake there? Yeah. You would you would think that he specializes in seafood. It's got to be, yeah. right? He's a, right. he's a Navy SEAL. But I'm thinking if it's like a steakhouse, you call it undefeated. That's a great name. You call it undefeated because nobody beats him in the kitchen. He says that. That's his that's his thing. There's no restaurant that competes with him. Right. Yes. You can't, can't beat him in a cooking competition yeah, You either. can't fight him in the kitchen as the the bad guy found out in Under Siege 2. You also can't beat him Grill that steak. I, I wrote down Casey's Portside Bar and Grill. That sounds like a family-friendly <laughs> yeah. place, right? Casey's Starboard. <laughs> yeah, that sounds like a like a family. Yeah. It's a family-friendly yeah. establishment. Yeah, it's an Applebee's, if you will, but it's it's not a chain. What is his signature dish at these places? Like, what I, what do you think he would make? Well, yeah, like like I said, it, it's got to be some kind of seafood dish. I'm thinking that he does crab cakes really well. Yeah. Also, I had to cheat a little bit. I looked up some dishes that he may be interested in, and I came up with. Ryback's Sound of the Sea. All right. That's a specialty dish. What it is is tapioca, razor clams, crushed fried baby eels. Are those hand crushed by him? Hand crushed. May or may not be electric. (laughs) Cod liver oil, shrimps, oyster, and three kinds of edible seaweed. Because you got to get the greens in there. I like razor. I like razor clams, too. Are they actual like razors? Yeah, because it's it's hardcore. Yeah, It's it's tough as balls. And we're also talking about the, fry, the, the the fried baby eels, the crushed fried baby eels, right? Yeah. He's not using any utensils with this thing, all right? Do you think he makes shark fin soup, too? Yeah. Like, things that are, like, really exotic, or does he respect the animals? He doesn't want that. How does he get the shark fin, right? He pulls it he off with his hand. He rips it off. With his hand. Barehanded. Rips off the shark fin, all right? Yeah. <laughs> he has shark teeth in it. Yeah. Like, he has a knife made out of shark teeth. Yes. That he just cuts stuff with. <laughs> If he had a cooking show like on the Food Network back yes. in 95, like what would this show be called? Well, let's say we got to steal the name of the show that already exists, right? It has to be chopped. Yeah. Because he's going to jujitsu chop you in the throat. And he's also going to jujitsu chop any kind of dish that he needs. Again, there's no knives on he this show. Use utensils. There's zero knives on this show. He's cutting the steak. He's cutting the chicken. He's, cut, he's chopping the onions. With his hands? With his hands. That's how precise he is with, with his jujitsu slash... Kitchenware, cutthroat kitchen. Like he would, he would also be in that too. That's another show. That's, that's right? an elimination style show. Yeah. It has to be. No, you know, I could see him being on like a, like you know how Bobby Flay does that show where he goes and challenges people at their signature yeah. dish. Yeah, I feel like Casey Ryback would do that. Like he's badass enough to say, "I'm gonna make your dish better than you." So y'all think y'all could beat me in the kitchen? That's what he. That's Terrible what accent. Say. I'm sorry. That's what he'll say. <laughs> hey, listen, I'm okay with it. You do a pretty good New Dolls Orleans accent. Thinks you could beat me in the kitchen. What? Some gumbo. <laughs> crocodile gumbo. Yeah, what do I say? Crocodile gumbo is his dish. Yeah, he he's would from, make that too. He's from New Orleans. From Nolans. From Nolans. You gotta have the gumbo. So, the plot of this movie, I, let me just go through a high level here thing for you. Because yeah. we, you read the, the synopsis, right? Yeah. There's some detail that we want to give yeah, out. Yeah, let's get through okay? a little detail. So, so you and I crafted this together. We, we just said like... You know, a disgraced government employee, this guy that looks kind of like Paul Reiser, but he's not Paul Reiser, you know, is an employee who who was responsible for this satellite that they hijack this train with the help of some goons and they destroy, they want to destroy targets to the highest bidder. So it winds up being somebody from the Middle East and they're asking about, you know, weaponizing, lasering, whatever they do, earthquake, fault lining, DC. Okay. So basically, long story short, some DOD computer genius geek invented this thing. He's he's kind of a madman, so he gets fired, yeah. gets disgraced from from the DOD, commits suicide. Yeah, so he basically he faked his own death right. to fool these clowns. And the, the technology of this thing, it's a satellite, like we said, it's called Grazer, which I think is a terrible name, yeah. by the way. It's like kind of <laughs> like Goldeneye meets Die Hard. Yeah, this movie is Goldeneye meets Die Hard. It, it definitely is. And they got to use a train because it's constantly moving, so it's untraceable. Right. And they stupidly don't check the manifest of this thing. Right. And Casey effing Ryback is on this train because he happens to be on vacation with his niece because her father died and he missed the funeral. His niche? His niche. <laughs> he, he said, I missed, I missed the funeral, so I'm not going to miss the train. I'm not sure how that makes any sense. It doesn't sense make any all. sense. I, I scratched my head at that line. I think that's one of his Buddhist, like, yeah. kind of uh, his, his Taoism, whatever terminology yeah. that he's throwing out there. Um, but he single handedly takes them all out by running all top, all over the train, including on top of the train for half the movie. Yeah. And uh, with the help of not Busboy, but Porter Morris Chestnut. Yes. I'd never heard of the term Porter before. I guess it's a Busboy. For the most part. Yeah. Oh, and, and by the way, Catherine Heigl is his niece. Which, 
I, I she just looks like a, a it was jerk. One of, it was one of her first roles, and she didn't have much to do with it. Probably should have been her last role. But she too. wasn't very good. She has what you call permanent bitch face, right? Yeah. Well, that's the thing. I've heard a lot of stories. Now I'm not a part of Hollywood. But you're not, you, wait, you read. You're in the time. movie business, though. Yeah. You were anyway. I was in the movie. You business, were in the movie you know, business. I hit start on the projector. Yeah. But a lot of people, you'll read all over the internet these unsubstantiated claims that she's not friendly to work with. Yeah, I've I've heard I've heard know, some stories. And and she she does look like that. Yeah. She looks like you I, know a teenage punk. Maybe maybe it's a total misunderstanding. It's just that's just her resting face. Yeah, that's how she, she can't looks. help it. Right? It's just how she looks. Yeah, it's just how she looks. Maybe she's a sweetheart. I don't, I don't know. know. I doubt it. But that's just me. So anyway. So, the colon of this movie, Dark Territory. I got some issues with this term, Dark Territory. So, first of all, the first thing about this term is, you know in the movie where, like, you wait for them in action movies to say the title of the movie? Yeah. And then when they say the title, it's like a da-da-da. It's like the reveal. Yeah. Like, oh my god, we're entering Dark Territory. But in this movie, they say it like eight times. I kind of took count here. It cheapens it a little bit, doesn't it? And it, it cheapens it big time. The first time they said it, I did a fist bump. I was like, yes, they said it. They said Dark Territory. They used it like seven other times. Totally disappointed. But really, the third Dark Territory, they use Dark Territory because the trade, I guess, is quote unquote untraceable. So is it is Dark Territory a really, it's, is it a real thing? Yeah, so I looked it up. And of course, there's a Wikipedia on, on the term Dark Territory. Of course there is, I had right? to differentiate Dark Territory, the term versus Dark Territory, the movie. They, I love how Wiki, like, are you sure you meant this? Yeah, not it has this movie in parentheses. Yeah. So let me let me quote you from Wikipedia, which is a very reliable source on, on the dark territory. <laughs> if it's on the internet, matters. it's real. Yeah. So quote: Dark territory is a term used in North American railroad industry to describe a section of track not controlled by signals. Trade movement in dark territory were previously handled by timetable and trade order, but since the widespread adoption of the two-way radio communications, these have been replaced by track warrants and direct control with trade dispatchers managing trains directly. Was there a two-way radio so, in 1995, That's Drew? what I was going to say. So you mean to tell me that there was no two-way radio yeah. in this movie? So uh, did it exist in 95 to refresh my memory? Are we, are we just invalidating the entire premise of the film yeah. right here by Wikipedia? So Wikipedia went on to say that, yeah, yes, some dark territory may still exist in some remote parts he, of the railroad system of, of the United not, States. He's not in Alaska. Yeah, exactly. Or Antarctica or I think something. that's what they're thinking, they're talking about, about it still being there. It's probably in the depths of nowhere. I mean, I can imagine like in the Yukon territory in Alaska or somewhere yeah. in, in, you know, somewhere where there's nothing. Now, yeah. Colorado, I know there's a lot of beautiful places in Colorado and it's not completely populated, but... Right. It's it's a major come state. On, I mean, we're not talking about Alaska. Yeah, the whole movie they're traveling in quote dark territory. So I, it looks pretty light out to me. I feel like it just invalidates the entire movie. Uh, not not to stop us from having a good time or anything, but if you're gonna put it in the title of your movie, just make sure it's worth it. Yeah, you know have I mean? a scientific review yeah. here, or, or at least like if if they could have just made it up, make make dark territory some other term. It's a great name by itself. Just don't look at the definition. Yeah, I'm sorry, I just ruined all that for everyone. Which speaking of dark and light. Out of nowhere, it gets dark in this movie. I don't <laughs> yeah. want to harp yes, on it. it does. But didn't I say to you, we were watching this yeah. together. I'm like, did it just get dark out or are they in a tunnel? Yeah. It's like, you know, in 24 where it's like 4 o'clock to 5 o'clock yeah. p.m. It's like it's, it's bright as day. It's, it's like, like noon outside. It happens. And then the next episode, it's complete pitch dark. Yeah. Yeah. It was like a light switch. I thought they were in a tunnel, right? Yeah. What did I say? Yeah, to you? we were like, like, are they in a tunnel right now? Why is it so dark? It and just never sudden, got yeah, light. It turned to, turned to night. Yeah. <laughs> so... We think this is a great movie. I mean, Seagal's kicking ass. We love Seagal. I, I don't want to harp on him, but I feel like the supporting characters in this movie were weak and could be could be improved. Do we have to put up with this? I mean, you know, can't we get a better actor? I know it's a small part, but I think we can do better than this. Right, so we'll go through the characters a little bit, and then we'll do a little recasting and maybe see who could have played it better based on actors that were alive. Well, that, no, of course, they were alive, but they were active during this time period or well within their, their chances to be in these roles. So let's go with the first guy, Travis Dane. This is the computer geek, bad guy, DOD. Bizarro Paul Reiser. Bizarro Paul Reiser. The guy has like a perm going on. He does, really. And the first thing I wrote down in my notes is this guy looks like he belongs in a sitcom. He not, does. Not the main bad guy in a Steven Seagal movie. Oh, absolutely. He, yeah. he looks... He looks like a friendly neighbor that would right. be like a guy in an apartment complex that you'd see on the way to drop your groceries right. off. Or he's something. like, he's like, he looks like Kramer in a way. Almost. Yeah. yeah. You know what he I mean? Does. So I don't know. Do you like, do you believe this guy as no. the bad guy? I, we need to talk about the villain scale because I, and, and that's the thing with the villain scale on this one. I feel like 
there's competing evils between Dane and the next guy we're going to talk about in a minute. Yeah. So if we got to ro- let's rate them independently of each other. Okay. This guy is like a two to me. I don't think he's very yeah. evil. He's not menacing at all. He he has computer intellect and intelligence, right. so that helps him. He's evil genius, but he doesn't have like he's not chillingly evil. Yeah, he kills some people. He blows a couple things up with his lasers. But it's easy when you're behind a computer yeah, screen. Like right. he doesn't see the the, the definition right. of the death. Yeah, and the end at the end of the movie where he actually gets face to face with Seagal, like he's like trembling. You yeah. Know? So it's like, and of course, I guess the computer computer geek guy is going to do that. But there's there's no like there's no the evil's gone. It's gone from him. So. Well, I hadn't seen this movie in a while, and I actually for some reason, you know, until we watch this together, I kind of forgot that he was the main bad guy. Like typically yeah. in movies. The computer geek is a means to the end of the bad guy, which I thought was the other guy, Penn. Yeah. In my head, I had this drawn up like this computer geek was just the guy, you know, performing the, the tasks. Yeah. And Penn was the evil mastermind. It couldn't be more opposite, uh, right? Yeah. Well, yeah, they're, they're working together, but there comes a point in a movie where it's like if you're the computer guy and the muscle guy who's like that, like evil guy 1B. Yeah. He could use his muscle to overtake the genius guy just because he has the brute force. They're kind of like co-villains in a way. And I I had it wrong in my head before we watched it. But I mean, let's talk about this guy's outfit. Okay. He's wearing (laughs) like this denim shirt with like this tie that he looked like he got from the Jerry Garcia collection, you know, and and he's got, was he wearing jeans and penny loafers too? Yeah. You know what he looked like? He looked like a teacher. He did. He looked like a teacher. He looked like your high school history teacher. Yeah. Right. High school history teacher, biology teacher. He looked like somebody from high school. Yeah. Absolutely. And he, he, he was actually able to code, type in two passwords that, independently. That was impressive. With two hands at the same time, yep. which I want to know how many takes that took, because I imagine he was just like <laughs> pretending he was playing the piano like Mozart yeah. or something. But we got to recast these guys. Right. And normally we save a recast for the end, but let's just do it while we go through this. Yeah. Okay? So this guy, he didn't have the look of the of, of the villain. I feel like the, the, the movie would have been much bigger and more respected had a, a bigger name done this movie. So as we say, I know it's a small part. Could we get a guy better than this? Yeah. <laughs> so who did you have? Who, I, who I put your, a list together. Yeah. Give me okay. your list. So I'm I'll, not going to give you my best one. because I'll, t- I'll tell you yes or no. Okay. Right. I'm going to give you my and best why? one at the end. Right. I, and I, it's out of order here, but I'm going to read him. So right. the first one that came to mind was like somebody like John Cusack. Yeah. Because he's a recognizable name. He's dependable. Yeah. You but know, he's got the look. I, I like the look. I like him, but he's a little too, little too uh, rob-com. Yeah. A little, little too baby-faced. I agree. Um, I said Kevin Spacey. Kevin Spacey? That's actually not bad. Yeah, that's not bad. I was going to bash it, but I can't. He's good, but I don't know if he would sign on to be. He's too. I feel like he's too big at that point by yeah, 95. To be in a Steven Seagal yeah. sequel. Cusack was ready and willing and available. What about Dustin Hoffman? Dustin Hoffman? Eh, too old, maybe. Yeah. At that point. What about Alan Rickman? Alan Rickman. Hans Gruber. Too foreign, yeah. <laughs> but he's American, isn't he? Or is he British? I don't know. I don't know that the accent. The accent throws me. The Hans, Hans Gruber. Gruber. He's Hans Gruber to me, so he can't be this guy if he's Hans Gruber. What about Gary Oldman? Gary Oldman's pretty damn good, and I feel like he would be menacing. But yeah. does he have computer skills? Can he hack a satellite? I think he could pull it off. He put the glasses on him and, and, and give him like crazy hair, like slick back hair yeah. or something, or even just hair that looks like it's been blowing in the yeah. wind. You know, it's like <laughs> up and out. Give him a pocket protector. Yeah, give him a pocket protector. He's fine. That's not bad. I'm saving my ultimate one for right now because I got it. All right. And, and I thought long and hard about this one. Robert effing Downey Jr. Iron Man pre, himself. Pre-Iron pre Man. Pre-Iron Man Robert you know, Downey. Like still doing coke and maybe alcohol. Yeah, because he, he's good enough to throw himself into that character. He, he looks can, like the guy he too. Can, yeah, he could be anybody. He could do the look of the computer guy. I have no doubt. I and think he'd be more menacing. Yeah, he definitely would yeah. because he's got the 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 aura about him, the, the toughness. This other guy was just like way too geeky. Yeah, and, and plus... He wasn't really doing a whole lot. I mean, he was he was well he was active in stuff, at this yeah. point. But maybe you know what? Maybe he's a little too artsy. Like maybe he's a little too. Uh, he wouldn't have done it. Maybe he wouldn't have done it. It might have been beneath him to too do Christian to Bale. Do, yeah, like he did Natural Born Killers around this time. I remember yeah. that. But but that was more. That's Oliver Stone. You know, that's a whole big thing. Maybe he's a little too. He might be too good. He's my number one choice. But he's perfect. He's my number one choice. Well, we're talking about making this movie better. So, yes, go throw somebody at this guy. Yeah. Yeah. I think he would, someone like that or someone more respected, yeah. no offense to this other guy or offense to this offense, other guy. No, no, he wasn't very good. You know, he, he just wasn't good. He I actually, mean, he wasn't bad. <laughs> yeah. No, he was good. Yeah. But he wasn't good. Let's make it better. We're talking about making the, taking this movie yeah. to the next level. We just bash yeah. him, but he's not terrible. Yeah. He just could be better. Yeah. I like how we bash a guy, then we bring him back up a little yeah. bit. Yeah. 
Well, he wasn't terrible. No. What about Penn, the main muscle, the, the rubber cleaver guy, so, yeah. as I always call him? It's funny because they don't really say the, these guys are like, they're kind of nameless. Like, I remember, what's the, the one dude, his name was Mercenary One, the bad yeah, guy from the Dorian mask. Dorian from the mask. Yeah, I forget his real name, something green. The guy with like the, the very feminine face, yeah, right? Yeah, you said he looked like a woman. He like does. these guys, and like this guy is named Penn. It's like, I don't know his first name. They didn't really, they never said his name. He's just like, he's the guy. Like I think it, he, the man who said it one time, yeah. but it was like not something you're going to pay attention to. Yeah, I feel like you got to give a guy a name if you want to. Like, we knew who Dane was, right? Yeah. Like, they say Dane. They say it over and over. Yeah. But you don't know who this guy is. He's just like this, like, this this faceless, nameless guy. Just silver hair yeah. guy. So, yeah, you look up his IMDB, and there's not a lot going on, right? <laughs> he actually has, like, black hair, yeah. doesn't he? <laughs> yeah. And then you, you look at his movies after Under Siege, and they dwindled into nothing at around 1998. So, the, is, the, did this break his career? It may have. <laughs> he got his ass kicked so hard by Seagal, and it just knocked him out of movies. He's not believable in anything <laughs> yeah. else, because, you know, they can't, they can't take him seriously. He got yeah. just whooped. So, so what, do you, what do you have for, uh, for a recast on this dude? I put a couple together. I have the first one. I'm going to skip that one for now. But I said something, somebody like Ed Harris. Ed Harris. I don't know if that would be believable. Eh, too bald. He's kind of he's he's too much of like your Larry David over there. Yeah. He's too much of like a regular regular everyman kind of guy. Yeah. I guess I, I can't see him realistically fighting Steven Seagal. Yeah. You know um, who I could see though? Who? Eric Roberts. That's not bad. I like Eric. He's Roberts. He's got nice hair. Yeah. He's got a good face for it. He'll do anything. He's a t- <laughs> he's a tough guy. You too. don't have to pay him a lot. What about Michael Rooker? Michael Rooker. Merle. That's, see that's. He's a scumbag, and he though. would do he would do it back yeah. then too. He could scumbag. act like a scumbag, like yeah. none other. He would do it back yeah. then. Oh yeah, he'll do anything too. What about uh, Mickey Rourke? Yeah, Mickey Rourke was one I thought of. Uh, he's a bruiser, no doubt about it. I think that would have been a good fight, but maybe he probably wouldn't sign on to get his ass kicked by Seagal, so yeah. he would probably be out. But I'd a, like to see it. We had some other ones yeah. like Apollo Creed, yeah. um, Dolph Lundgren. He might be too big. I feel like yeah. we've said this before offline as well. I feel like. A lot of times these big stars don't like to go in each other's movies. It's kind of a big deal if they do. That's why Expendables was such a big deal. They don't yeah. want to steal the light, or steal yeah. the starlight from anybody. Right. Like uh, we were saying with... Uh, was it War. Jet War. Oh, yeah, yeah. With Jet Li and Jason Statham, it was a big deal. Oh, they're both in this movie. They're going to fight each other. Yeah. So, yeah, it's kind of like an unwritten code of you don't go in other people's movies to beat each other up. My yeah. other one was uh, Arnold Vosloo, Habib yeah. Marwan himself. Yeah. So, uh, us a former Bauer Hour 24 fame quote unquote fame. Uh, <laughs> Abib Marwal just has, he's got it. I don't know what it he is. He just has the he's look, man. It. He's the mummy. He's yeah, got the look. He is the mummy. He's he's one of my favorite villains yeah. of all time. So right. I feel like he'd be good. The last one is, t- it ties to a story that we have for the end of the show. Yes. Gary Busey. Gary Busey. From the first one. He was in Under Siege 1. He was killed in a submarine. Or was he? Yeah. And that's the thing. Yeah. So we have a story about that later. Yeah. We're not going to touch on so, it now. Yeah. Apparently Gary Busey was signed on to be an under siege too. And something happened along the way. May or may not have been Steven Skull's fault, but uh, we have a story on that. We'll get to at the end when we wrap this thing up. But I think he could have been, and, and you'll understand when we get yeah. to that. He's another guy. He's, he's uh, big enough, crazy enough. And nineties enough, nineties enough to be a foe of Steven Seagal. What about the Morris Chestnut role? Morris who, Chestnut who would you role. cast so, in Morris Chestnut? So this was the porter or the busboy. The non-busboy. Right. The non, don't call me a busboy. So we got Jamie Foxx. Jamie Foxx was just... He was good. He'd be good. He was just sort of getting into acting at this point. I mean, yeah. I, I mean, he was on A Living Color in, in, the, in the early 90s. And then he started to come up on his own and do a couple of, of low-budget action movies, a couple story roles. He had enough of the comedy down, yeah. I think. I think he could have been a good partner to Skull. Another one I like I like a lot is, is Marlon Wayans. Yeah. I don't think he gets enough credit for how good of a dramatic actor he is. He's actually a really good actor. Yeah. I think he'd be good too. I feel like he could have played like he could have been just goofy enough to pull off some of the jokes that Chestnut does in this movie and also serious enough to wield the gun as well. And also um you had brought up Will Smith. Will Smith was um would have been a good choice had this been in 92 when Under Siege 1 came out. Yeah. But he was doing a little movie you may have heard of it called a bad boys. I didn't realize that it was at the same yeah. time. Like I, I guess the nineties kind of blurred together because yeah. I love all of these movies so much. I kind of forget when they all came out. They, yeah, they both came out in the same and summer. That was huge. They both came out in the same summer, and it basically made Will Smith's career as a movie actor coming off of Fresh Prince. Yeah, but he would have been good in this had he not done. Of that. course, he would have been good in. I feel yeah. like he would have blown so away. So a couple Morris years Chestnut. ago, yeah, a couple years ago, he could have he could have had this role and may have, may have hurt his career. Probably yeah. would have. <laughs> Just like Penn or yeah. whoever the rubber cleaver guy yeah. was. So my dark horse candidate, yeah. which is completely stupid and you'll probably laugh me out of the room, 
a young A.C. Slater, oh, a.k.a. Man. Mario Lopez. I actually love it. Now, hear me out here. He's muscular. I love it. You could believe him as a guy who could take out a couple terrorists. He's a little bit funny. He's not the greatest actor. He could work on the train. Yeah. He struggled to find work after his after Saved by the Bell because, you know, I think maybe the new class was just finishing yeah. up and he was all up in there. The college years, because I think Saved by the Bell, the real show ended its run in 93. Something like that. Yeah, So it, it was right around that time they're filming this movie, 94. Let's give the kid a chance. I mean, no, he has a great career now at, at E! E! News or just being the general a host. If the you host. Will. He's like a poor man. Some secret. Yeah. yeah. But I think he could have done well here. So he graduated from uh, Bayside High, went to the college, and then he winds up not being able to find work. Yeah. You know, the economy's down, goes and works on a train line right. as as a porter. Yeah. And hooks up with Katherine Heigl. Yeah. He, he's got he's got he's got the chops to back on the ladies. Yeah. He just gotta he flex the muscle a I little love bit, it. right? I love it. Thinking outside the box here. So uh, we talked a little bit about the plot. I mean, the plot's kind of it's kind of all over the place, right? Bad Those, guy has Doob Day device. Yeah. Steven Seagal comes to save the day. That's the plot. We've got we've got some stray observations that right. we put together. What else happened in this movie? I feel like I'd rather do that than spend time talking about the plot yeah. of this movie. There's a lot. There's a couple of little funny idiosyncrasies that we found. <laughs> My favorite one, and I'm going to struggle to say this. I'm, it's going to be hard for me to not laugh while I'm saying this because right. I tried to tell you before and I was cracking up. Right. But one of the, the the parts of the movie is this: uh, the DOD lady is work, uh, one of the lieutenants or whatever she is. She was working on this satellite with another coworker, and someone asks her out, and she winds up taking this train together, and that's kind of how they get the codes for this. Right. So, no, this this was this was they chose this train because they knew that these two people that had codes were on this train, so that they could get the codes and steal the control of of the grazer missile. And coincidentally, it was in dark territory as well. Was it dark territory? Which the stars aligned. I mean, this was planned. Yeah. But so. uh, one of my favorite things was, and and it's, and I don't mean favorite in that it was hilarious. It's hilarious, unintentionally hilarious. Yeah. But the, he was like stealing the code from her, and they were like trying to poke their eyes out, and that didn't happen. They give the code, and then they decide, hey, we're gonna kill these people anyway. Yeah, right. And the thing that the henchman says to her, it's yeah. like this is a nice lady. She's very beautiful, and he says, "Move it, asshole." <laughs> <laughs> like, who said? Who says that to a nice lady? Like you don't call a lady an asshole. A woman, you don't call a woman an asshole. It's not that you can't do it. It's, it's that it's never done. It doesn't work. It's like it's like a, it's like they they just stumbled upon new dark territory here. Yeah, if you it will. was dark territory. <laughs> so of all the things, dudes running on trains, chefs beating up everybody, missiles spewing lasers from the sky. Yeah. Double tapping passwords. All of that is not ridiculous compared to this woman being called an asshole. He's like, move it, asshole. And he, sho- <laughs> he shoves her off the train. I thought for a second he was he was shoving the guy yeah, off. Right. No, that's just unacceptable. Yeah. Now listen, because yeah, it's not, not that it's unacceptable. It's just it's never done. It's not that you can't do it. It's that it's, it doesn't make sense. Yeah. It doesn't fit. Women are not assholes. You call a woman a bitch. Yeah, if, you want, if you want to insult her, you well, call her a thing. bitch. Yeah, yeah, and you don't call a guy. A, you don't call a guy. But it's just you don't like, call a guy a bitch. You call a guy an asshole. It doesn't have. It doesn't have the same meaning. Yeah, you know, you can't flip flop them. It doesn't work. So that to me was like hilarious, and that was the first stray observation that I wrote down because it made me laugh so hard. But she did give him the codes, so maybe she deserved some of what she got. Thrown off the train with her lover, who they were fraternizing in a workplace, which is totally unacceptable, right? Um, so anyway, and another observation that I have from her is that. She also brought a boombox on the train. <laughs> so they were like, she was in this room and she's in this room, you know, trying to seduce this guy. And as she's sitting on the, in the train, the guy walks in and he's like, oh, fancy seeing you here. And she's there and she hits the music on a boombox. Yeah. So she, you know, they don't have iPods in these days. You know, they do have an Apple Newton, which we'll get to yes, in a second. Yes, they do. Which is a PDA for those that don't know what this was. It's a failed PDA. But she brings on like a full on boombox, like a Radio Rahim boombox or do the right thing. With her D batteries. Yeah. Does she have extra batteries? <laughs> yeah. That thing, you can't plug that in. You should use those as weapons. You could knock anybody out with a D, D battery. Does that count as her carry on? Like, yeah. it, does she have to pay 50 bucks just to bring that thing yeah. on? She didn't have, she didn't have clothes on her. Remember, she had like a little. This is like, like a trench coat. She had her trench coat on. So she didn't carry on any, any other clothes or anything. That's her carry on. And then the guy, the jerk henchman comes in and just shoots it up. Yeah. You know, you can't you can't replace those things no. back in ninety five. No, that, that's probably cost ninety five dollars. <laughs> maybe right? even maybe even a hundred. <laughs> oh man. Well, you put together an awesome list of Seagal Seagal so, yeah. observations. So we're talking Steven Seagal. We're talking we're talking kickassery, right? Of none other. I mean we 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 uh 
we labeled his his skills in the kitchen. You clearly, you can't beat him. Let's talk about some of the Seagal feats that just are li- maybe little head scratchers. Let's start with him running on the train. Can we talk about that seriously for a minute? He was on the train for at least half the movie. Yeah. Can we talk about him just being on the train and kind of like lurking? Yeah. Not really. It looked like he didn't have a plan. He was. He was just yeah. hanging out on top. But I love how he, he went out. Yeah. And then they went through and locked all of the doors and windows. Yeah. And he kind of had an oh shit moment where he's up there and he's like, oh shit. Like, so what like, if I can't get back in? What if he couldn't yeah. get back in? Like you see, you see him scurrying back and forth on this train. It's it's kind of like uh, it, 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 this movie is like Die Hard. It's like you know yeah. Bruce Willis is in the ducks with no shoes. Yeah, it's it's Steven Seagal on on top of a train, not knowing where to go. It's like he needs to know uh, he needs like the the train map or something to figure out what car to go into. I still love the part where it's like you know what if he got locked out? He just happens to find a window open yeah. and he he busts in on Mike Ehrmantraut from Breaking yeah. Bad, who just <laughs> happens to have the conductor hat yeah. on. It's like, who knew? It's like he had to go to the front of the train because he was locked out everywhere else. It's like he really didn't think about it. it was, I, I bet he kind of walked up to the top there. He's like, this was a terrible idea. Yeah. <laughs> I should have done this. I immediately this. regret this decision. <laughs> oh, man. So, uh, again, let's talk Let's talk about the Newton. The Newton, man. Now, I, I, you know more about this than I ever will. I forgot those things existed. Yeah. I know about them, too, because I remember reading about technology. I mean, I've yeah. seen one, too. It was like it was, it was back back when Apple was like it was a Macintosh. Yeah, it looked like a little Macintosh. Well, it, it was like a, literally a PDA. If yeah. anybody that's that's listening has seen these things, it's a PDA with an actual stylus. It has like a blue backlit screen. So he sends a fax on this Newton. He sends it first off. He sends a fax. OK, yeah. I, I wish we could just input the fax sound right now because yeah. it's a ridiculous <laughs> thing. But he sends a fax wait, from this. Wait, wait, PDA. wait, wait, wait. wait. There it is. <laughs> okay. But he sends this fax from the Newton. Yeah. And he goes and sends like at first I thought he sent the menu to his chef. Yeah. But he sends it to his chef. He doesn't have anyone else's number. He sends this fax to him basically saying, hey, these guys are hijacking the train, you know, as if they didn't already know this. Right. You know, so he sends it and he hide he like hot wired this thing into the wall because all the phones were ripped yeah, out. So Everything was so he done. puts all like the intel like, oh, there's twenty guys. This is exactly what they're doing, blah, blah, blah. Basically what they already knew. I think in ninety five this was their attempt at being cutting edge. Here's my question though. So he sends the fax to the chef. So is that like that's the only contact he has on the on, on the outside? The chef knows that he's some government official. He doesn't yeah. know what he does because it's like secret, right? Yeah. How did the chef get in touch with the DOD? Like how did like how did he know what number to call? And why did he, he just send it to them? If he did know what number to call, how did he get through? Like he kind of sound like an idiot. Like he, like he doesn't know who to contact, <laughs> what to say. You just to, call the cops yeah. and be like, "Get me the Department of Defense." Yeah. It was like a black site too, wasn't it? Yeah. It's like the the the. Admiral didn't even know this place existed. Right. It's a head scratcher, to say the least. But what what you're under siege to call a dark territory, you just skip through those little facts. I also love the pager bomb. Oh, <laughs> the pager bomb. So he he's in the he's in the kitchen, which is like his home court, right? So Morse Chestnut's in there with him. He's like, What are you doing? And Steven Skull's like, watch me, I got this. I'm gonna make this bomb. What you know about making a bomb? He says it in like such an a-hole yeah, way, too. Right? He says it like, Of course I'm making a bomb. Freaking Casey Ryback. I know how to make bombs. So he makes this like glass explosive bomb. I don't know what he, he put in He's using like coconut oil. Yeah, he has coconut oil. He Whatever up some it glass, is. Sticks it up in a martini shaker. So That was hilarious, by so the way. The best part of, of this scene is not that he makes the bomb and not that he schools chestnut on what to do. It's that... So what room is he throwing this bomb in? You think that he's on the other end of this flight? Yeah, he's on he the busts through the, the door, and right there is like it's the main bad guy. It's like it's headquarters. Like he was right below it. There's like no, there's no buildup. There's no dramatic thing. He just opened the door to the headquarters, he throws a the, bomb in, and ducks back out. He walked up the steps. Yeah, he's like, oh hey, right. And so it's like he's face to face with like the head bad guys right there, and it's like thirty minutes into the movie. The way that he launched it too, it's like hilarious. Yeah, yeah he just I, throws it like a softball. Yeah. And he closes the door. I got a problem with like, I don't know, who is it? The director that decides or the editor that decides what goes where. And it's like, that was Seagal, man. This, this should have been later in the movie. And it's like, it's so far in the beginning of this chase. It just, it, it's just, it just 
it just doesn't make sense. It's a head scratcher. I'm, I'm without words right now at to where at that he was so close to the headquarters this early in the movie. That was the Steven Seagal written, directed, yes. produced. Yeah. Hey, I'm gonna. I want to throw a bomb in this movie. Let me make one yeah. out of kitchen supplies because I'm a cook and I'm gonna walk up the stairs and toss it. This is why his future movies were directed DVD. This this started the ball rolling the ball towards this direction. I love that he attached a pager to yes. it too. And what did the pager message say? The pager just says, "You're effed." <laughs> yeah. All up on all up on the thing. So. He had time to mess around and make jokes while making this bomb, while dialing this pager. And another thing we got to talk about is, obviously, this is, a, is an action movie, so there's going to be a lot of one-liners. They seemed a little forced in this movie, they don't did. you think? They seemed really awkward. He was spitting about left and right. Every scene he was in, he was saying something witty, funny, and mostly to himself, right? Yeah, he was talking to himself like the entire movie. Yeah. We got to do last row lines next time on the on Seagal movies, because yeah. there's so many of them. So I like, at the beginning, he's like, he's a... Um, so the reason he's on the train is to get with his niece, who will not get with her, <laughs> meet up with that her. That would be illegal that way. Because her parents, his brother, had died. Yeah. And she has no guardian, which we assume, we assume he's her guardian, but we don't know for sure. The 15-year-old yeah. Catherine he, did, he said he didn't even remember yeah. what she looked like. So he walks in and they have an argument, and he's like, I'm not trained for this. Which works on two levels, because they're on a train, and he's not trained, get it? <laughs> train, train, train. But um, Yeah. So... And then when the, when the shit starts going down and gunfire starts blazing, he kills one bad guy. The kitchen's messed up. He sees blood. He goes, now this I'm trained for. Trained. Totally trained, trained for it. Totally forced. He's talking to himself the whole movie, yeah. which is A, number one, we're forcing funny guy lines in this movie. But I like how Morris Chestnut made fun of him for it, too. Like when he found some woman's like uh, lingerie, he was like yeah. wearing it because it was black, like his black jacket. Yeah. Like uh, Seagal's black coat. And he put it on his chest and he was like flapping it, basically yeah. making fun of Seagal saying one-liners. Yeah, he was so like... kind of self-aware. Yeah, he was like, oh, yeah, fire protection, don't get yourself killed. Yeah. He was like, oh, fire protection. Like, he, yeah. So even Chet... I, I like to think that wasn't written into the movie. Yeah, Chestnut just, ad-libbed it. That's just Chestnut ad-lib and he's thinking nobody was talking to him. No one was listening to it. He didn't how, know they were rolling. So how annoyed was he working with Seagal? I feel like he's probably totally annoyed working with this guy. Oh, he, oh. he had to get the frustrations out. Total asshole, I'm sure. Now, call him an asshole. He's yeah. not a bitch. He's an asshole. You call Seagal a bitch? It's fighting time. Yeah. He'll roundhouse you in yeah, the face. Right. Why? The other observation that I had is, why didn't he just throw the bodies off the train? He didn't throw the bodies off the train. train. It's not like you got to... He hides them in like a locker. Yeah, like he it's did Metal like, Gear. He did the Metal Gear thing where he hides them in trailers, leaving trails of blood. Just toss them off the train. It's moving. Do you think he wanted to get caught on some level? Like, I want them to know that I'm here. He wants people to know, I look at, I'm taking your boys out. They're not disappearing. I'm killing them. He could have easily just tossed them out the train. Could have. Much like John McClane. McLean, he could have been tossing bodies off the yeah. building. He kind of he kind of made jokes on the bodies of Hans Gruber's guys. Yeah. It's the same thing. <laughs> That's Again, true. This is Die Hard meets Goldeneye. It's the same thing. How about how he taught Chestnut how to shoot a gun, too? Yeah. Wasn't that a little ridiculous? About 10 seconds. It took 10 second crash course. 10 seconds to crash. He's like, hold the gun here. Make sure you hold tight. You know, stand square. And then he's shooting an MP5 later. <laughs> <laughs> like you said, it looked like Team America, yeah. like just flailing all over the place. <laughs> Listen, if it had been me... If I had been the one that learned five seconds how to shoot a gun, first of all, he, sh- he uses two hands. Yeah. If the shit got real and I had to shoot someone, I would use one hand. And it would fly out I of your hand. I would act like I was playing police trainer in the arcade, and I'm sure the bullets would be going everywhere. I'd, I'd probably hit myself. Now you hand me an MP5, I'm dead, all right? Yeah, it would shoot back I'm going to shoot you. myself. Like, it's going to go, <laughs> and like, it'll <laughs> right go up, face. and I'll get shot in the forehead, because <laughs> I have no control over this weapon. He was, like, pretty good with it, too. Yeah, not bad. I assume the first time you use an MP5, when I imagine you would shoot like you would see Team America shoot, like the puppets of Team America, yeah. they're just flailing their, their limbs. That's what it would look like, like a, realistically. Like a doll. Yeah. You have no control over that weapon. My last favorite thing besides him running in the explosions and everything in the train, which, we, you know, it's whatever, is the fact that he just talks to Morris Chestnut and he says, oh, you want to, you're back, you want to be a hero? Which yeah. Morris Chestnut should have just ran the hell out of there. Yeah, he had a chance to get away. He was lucky yeah. he didn't die already. So he goes back on the train and he's like, oh, you want to be a hero? And he's like, yeah, I'm back. We got we to gotta take these guys down. And yeah. he goes, all right, you want to be a hero? Yeah. Climb up that ladder and command that helo. <laughs> and it's like it's like a rope yeah. ladder yeah. hanging out of a helicopter that yeah. one of the mercenaries is flying. Like, right. he's got no shot. There's right. no freaking way. Yeah. That's 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 all bad at level right there. That is all bad at level for a rookie. So, yeah, the, the, the heli that is going to basically the escape route for the bad guys tells the dude to go commandeer it now first of all he makes the leap onto the ladder you're done right there he's, he's falling right go. he's falling right off <laughs> and then he climbs up it now this is this is the thing i have with all movies that do this kind of thing 
So he climbs up the thing, and yeah, the one, the one hedge hedge girl, if you will, hedge yeah. woman, the sniper. Yeah, it was actually sniper. underused. Yeah. She was awesome. So she follows him up, and they have a little fight. She looked like she was running half speed. By the yeah. way, yeah, she didn't know she was not comfortable on that train. Now I know it's not a real train when they're shooting it, but whatever it was, she was not comfortable. I'll just leave it at that. So <laughs> I was going to say something inappropriate, but I was just going to leave it. All right. <laughs> So so he knocks her off the train, kills her. This by the way, this chestnut guy is, is piled on body counts too. So it's up there with yeah. Seagal. So for a rookie, point. not bad. All right. So maybe he could take the whole A guy that just yeah. learned how to shoot a half yeah. hour ago. So he holds a gun to the pilot and says, You're gonna do what I say or I'm gonna shoot you in the head. Now I have issue with this. You can't tell a pilot to do shit That's if true. you yourself can't fly said aircraft. That is ballsy, isn't yeah. it? It's like, what are you yeah. going to do? Shoot him? You'll if crash. I, you yeah. both die. If I were him, I would take my hands off the off of the the steering, whatever you call the it, stick? the steering the wheel. Steering wheel. Yeah, <laughs> take it off. And as the helicopter goes a nosedive, oh yeah, you still want to put a gun to my head? As the thing goes down, 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 down. That's right. I'm in control of this. Put your gun away. Yeah, and he could have kicked him out of the. Or what if he just like tipped it to the side and made him yeah. fall out? Yeah, you could do some pilot tricks. You know, <laughs> he's got. We got friends that are pilots. We yeah. got to ask him. Yeah. So I always have a problem with action movies that do that, that commandeer helicopters and airplanes. Yeah. Can't fly that shit. I have, I have another observation, too. Uh, besides the fact that Seagal ran out of the back of this thing, as the train was exploding, he ran through, like, the entire yes, length he of did. the entire train <laughs> as it's flying off. Like, it was ridiculous the way that he was running. Yeah. Which is awesome, but terrible. Now, we had mentioned that he put a little bit of weight on yeah. at this stage of his career. There was no way he was making he's, it out of that he's train. He's not running out of the extra tired... He's a chef. He's eating all the time. He's not making it. All right. <laughs> Don't put him around food, man. Yeah, yeah. That's the problem. He he was real life Casey Ryback. He's eating his own food. Yeah. He's it's too good. But anyway, before we wrap this up, I did a little digging about this movie because such a such a classic cinema, such as Under Siege Two, you got to find out how it was made in the Criterion Collection. Yes. Now I was I was looking for some fancy documentary on the making of this movie because it's it's such a Oscar-winning classic. Didn't find it. But what I did find is this juicy little nugget about Steven Seagal and his attitudes while making movies. So I come across this story where Steven Seagal, who's a producer in, believe it or not, 39 of the 45 movies that he's made, he's been a producer on. So he's shelling out some money on, on his films here. So I'm going to read you this story. Basically, I'm going to break down a story about how a couple of, of um, co-producers dropped out of this movie because Seagal basically got Gary Busey thrown off of this movie before it even started. So this movie could have had Gary Busey in here. So let me read this to you here. So basically, a couple of producers backed out because Steven Seagal was co-managing the budget of this entire film. And he ended up got, Boos, got, got Gary Busey thrown off the film, who was questionable if whether he died or not, and get under siege one. Yeah, because the sub got blown yeah. up. You don't so, know whether he was in yeah. it. They were going to bring Busey back because it, it had some star power, and it could be like a surprise, like, oh, by the oh, hey, I thought you were dead. That kind of moment. Yeah. Yeah. So Seagal admitted to getting Busey thrown off the film. He, he removed him from the film before they even started filming because he wanted to keep the movie more realistic. Sure, a satellite that can blow up and yeah. start earthquakes. That's yeah. real, real, real he, realistic. He said he wanted to make the film darker and more realistic. Basically, he's called the shots in this movie without... He, that's why we, we made the joke in the beginning that he's co-directing this movie. Yeah. He's calling a lot of the shots. He, they, the, the article went on to state that the producers are, are um, speculating that he was he was telling the director when and where to spend money, what shots, cut this, do that, because shocker, if the movie goes over budget, it gets taken out of part of his ten million salary for this movie, out of Seagal's salary. Scumbag. So, so he damn well better make sure that this film gets in under budget. Yeah. Well, and, and you told me he also was like constantly rewriting stuff, too. Yes. Which I can't imagine, as a filmmaker, that's got to be one of the most annoying possible things. Oh, yeah. So there were stories about, like, five days before they're ready to start shooting. Seagal's rewriting this thing. He's he's getting in touch with real CIA operatives to try to make it more realistic. Yeah. Well, I'm sure which is code for, how do I look more badass than this yeah. movie, guys? <laughs> that's pretty much what it boils down to. How do I break a guy's yeah. arm with a rubber cleaver? So it, it makes me think, Drew. How difficult is it to work on a Steven Seagal movie? Put it this way, okay? You know, we all have jobs. You know, you've got people that you might like, but you can't really work with them. Or guys of authority figures. Yeah, like maybe you've had a boss that you didn't yeah. like in the past or something. Right. Imagine working on a movie with this guy. Is this like one of the things where they throw the intern out like, this is your initiation into Hollywood, buddy. Yeah. Oh, Go man. work with Seagal. Yeah. It can't get any worse. Step one, right? Now, and I'm a fan of these movies. I, I enjoy them. Yeah. But I got to imagine he's like the worst boss that you could have or 
the worst guy working on a project. I mean, imagine like you're working on a project and the project manager keeps changing the, the, the plan of the project. I mean, that's essentially what it is. Yeah. That's got to be one of the most frustrating possible things. Oh, yeah. I don't think I would like it. I mean, there, there are stories out there. Who knows if they're true or not, but of Seagal just being very difficult. I mean, he has... Did he like hit his wife or something? Yeah, there was like a domestic. Yeah, multiple wives. And the fact that he went the direct to DVD route when he probably still could have been making some of these higher, yeah, higher grossing, more big budget movies makes you think that he's kind of a control freak. And, uh, and I got to imagine that he actually yeah. is. And, and I respect it on a certain level that he was so dead set on making a movie the way he wanted to that he ended up being putting more of his money into these. I'd like he's basically saying I'd rather go direct to DVD and make he's the movie I want to make than keep getting going trying to go to Hollywood standards because yeah. he probably hates being told what to do. Well, you he said seems the, like that kind of guy. The studio wanted a typical action movie, which yeah. is what you expect from him, right? And he wanted to try to make this realistic dark yeah. film, and he kind of he kind of settled in the middle. Yeah, and in '95, you don't expect a dark, you know brain teaser type thing right. from him you're not expecting to get your mind blown yeah. you just want to see shit blow up right i right? believe i believe this is the only sequel that he's done and people are like yeah i want to see casey rabbit kick more ass they don't want to they don't want that i know you don't want to do what other people you want to do what you want to do you want right. to have some artistic integrity but at the same time it's a hollywood movie people expect to see the same old, the same old stuff and after right? knowing kind of what we said about the recast where gary Busey was somebody who it was questionable about whether he died or not. Right. I actually, you know, now that we're talking about it, I could see him going and being that mercenary better than the guy with the gray hair. Yeah. Because I think that if he was this guy, it's like, hey, he's out of work. He, you know, he doesn't think Ryback's going to be around. He could just be there. Yeah, he's going to go help these dudes out. This geeky guy that's on a computer, he's going to get his cut of the stuff and he's going to go yeah. be this like floating mercenary. Yeah. That could have worked. Uh-huh. I don't know what they originally planned to write him in. You know, if there was any ties of that. And then it would have been like, oh, shit, Casey Ryback's here. I yeah. know about him. Yeah, there would have been a harder, like, um, sell there at the end. Like, when, when they find out Ryback's there, it would have been more close to home because Gary Busey knows what Casey Ryback's all yeah. about. But maybe it was written stupidly. Maybe Seagal saw the writing on the wall. was like, you know what? We can't have this. This is, it's just, it doesn't make a lot of sense. This guy is dead. Why are we trying to cling to this? He's supposedly dead. So I guess this will leave me with one last question to you uh-huh. before we wrap this up. Yep. Do you think this was a better or worse movie before he went and did what he did and these producers got thrown off of the movie? Do you think it wound up being better or worse? Or do you think it would have been fit? I feel like I I like the movie the way it is. I feel it was enjoyable. All things considered, we talked about recasting people, this and that. Maybe it works better, Seagal being the only star and him just kicking everybody's ass. That's what we all came here to see in the end. So I say mission accomplished, Under Siege 2, Call of Dark Territory. I had a lot of fun with it. Yeah, and quietly, this is one of my favorite Seagal movies. It doesn't so, get a lot of respect. Yeah. Give it some respect, damn it. So with that being said, um, we want to know what you guys think about this movie. Did you love it? Do you like it better than the first one? Is it a guilty pleasure of yours? Write in. Let us know what you think. Um, you can find us at thelastrowpodcast.com. You can follow us on Twitter at thelastrowpod. Find us on Facebook, Google+. Leave some comments on the SoundCloud player if you want to say some stuff. And uh, send us an email, thelastrowpodcast at gmail.com. I, I just want to say that imagine eating that Casey Ryback gumbo. <laughs> it's like he's from there. World class chef Casey Ryback. He would he would win a couple awards. <laughs> he would win a couple awards. Oh man, he's so nice. Anyway.